Introducing the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast with New York Times bestselling author, Christine Carlson. With 25 million copies in print, learn how the Don't Sweat Wisdom can help you achieve greater mental health and better communication with your family, friends, and coworkers from a beloved teacher. Rediscover your passion, joy, and self-compassion to awaken your most vibrant life. Hey there, it's Christine Carlson. Welcome back to the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff weekly podcast. I'll be following along my blog today on um, returning from grief to gratitude. But first, let's just take our golden pause. Wherever you are, I'd like you to just focus on your breath and just breathe in really deeply through your nose. And as you do so, allow your belly to expand. And sometimes it's really helpful to put your hand right on your belly, unless of course you're driving, don't do it then. Put your hand on your belly and just feel your belly expand as you breathe in so deeply. Breathe in sunlight and exhale any tension or fear that you feel. Breathe in gratitude and exhale any anxiety that you feel. Breathe in love, letting go of fear, allowing your body to relax, allowing yourself to be present in this moment, right here, right now, present for you. Life is what's happening while you're busy making other plans, John Lennon said so long ago. He was so right about that, that it's not a dress rehearsal. Life is not a dress rehearsal. It's about being present for your life, not sweating the small stuff so you can focus on what matters most to you, so you can live the big stuff, so that you can return from no matter where you are in your life to joy. Now, we say don't sweat the small stuff because it's all about keeping life in perspective, but what about the big stuff? What happens in our life when we deal with our losses and those tragic events that happen that aren't fun and are even heartbreaking. They're life-changing transitions. People often ask me, Chris, how can I, can, can I prepare for loss? How do we prepare for loss? And the truth is that we all prepare for loss in how we live our day-to-day lives every day. It's what you practice in your day-to-day life that really is able to Um, help your ability to bounce and to be resilient in big changes and big transitions. There's too much of life that requires your full attention to sweat the small stuff, right? So today I'm going to be following along on my blog, um, Returning from Grief to Gratitude. And I'll tell you, it it wasn't that I had life in perspective every moment. I really did not. I I didn't know how to grieve. I had no idea what I was in for. And I remember that very first wave of grief. I was walking out to my driveway. It was about two weeks after Richard died. And the girls were going back to school. Christmas break was over. And we were beginning to really attempt to try and step into our lives as much as we were in emotional shock and we were in trauma we all wanted to continue life we didn't want just sit around and 
feel sorry for ourselves or sit around and, and wait for all these grief-stricken moments that were going to invariably happen to us. So we were attempting to enter into our lives, and I walked out uh, my front door to my driveway to do a simple task, take a 50-pound bag of salt from my trunk and take it to the water softener. I had garbage to take out. And as I, I lifted this bag of salt and waited to take this garbage out, I, I suddenly realized that everything on Richard's to-do list was now on my list. I suddenly realized the impact of what that meant to our global brand that we had. I suddenly realized that he had taken care of all of our finances. And while I, while I knew enough about it, I, I didn't do that job. He did. And let me tell you, when I lifted that 50-pound bag of salt out of the car, it was far heavier than 50 pounds. I felt the weight of our lives on our shoulders. I felt the weight of responsibility for our daughters on my shoulders. And I fell to my knees. I fell to my knees, and I felt this complete wrenching in my stomach and in my gut. And I felt such pain and I began to sob, began to sob. And I remember feeling this kind of pain, this such deep, deep, deep pain before. And I, I thought about it and it reminded me of what it felt like to have a contraction in childbirth and what it felt like to have to surrender and open to those contractions and allow those contractions to open me in order to give birth. And I suddenly realized in this wave of grief, as I was on my knees in my driveway, I suddenly realized that I was giving birth again. That if I allowed this grief to do its work, if I surrendered to these waves, then eventually I knew already that I would birth a new life. That Grief was not the enemy. The grief had come to heal me. The grief had come to restore me, to allow me to empty out the tears of a thousand years. Tears of a thousand years. That if I surrender to the tsunami of grief that came to me in these waves, that somehow, someday, I would return to joy. And that was my hope. And that was where all my faith took me in those years that followed this first wave of grief. Now, going through grief was not without its bumps and bruises along the way. But I'll tell you what, I read a lot of Cahil Gibran um, from the prophet that year. And he says in his tome, The Prophet, your greatest joy is your sorrow unmasked. And these seven words spoke to me and whispered hope in my ear like no others as I weathered this tsunami of grief. That I knew that as long as I allowed myself to surrender to this grief, that as painful as this heartbreak was, that in time I would heal. There really isn't a yellow brick road you follow in grief. It's a process and a journey of healing and mending a broken heart that is filled with sorrow. 
sorrow that leaks through the cracks of a shattered life while spilling out the tears of a thousand years. About three months after Richard's memorial service, I attended a book launch party for a dear friend, Mike Robbins. He was just beginning his career as an author, and Richard had just finished the foreword to Mike's first book only three weeks before he died. I felt truly obligated to attend this party on Richard's behalf. I didn't really want to go. As happy as I wanted to be for our friend, I was hardly ready to celebrate anything that resembled my previous life that had all too fleetingly been pulled right out from under my feet. It felt more like a public assault when people who knew me and knew our story looked my way, and I'm sure that was just because I was so naked and so raw that I felt so exposed to their gaze. You know, people mean really, really well when they say things to you, but often hearing no words is better to comfort to someone grief-stricken than hearing the wrong words. You know, the people who offered me love, hugs, and told me they were praying for me and the girls, that was really what I needed. I knew I needed to be supported and loved through prayer, but I didn't want to hear guidance from anyone that I wasn't certain knew exactly how I felt. A man approached me at this party, and he told me I looked beautiful. You know, there is really something about tears that is truly anti-aging. Crying boosts the immune system, but for some reason, the more I cried that year, the younger I appeared. The man said to me, you know, Chris, you are very lucky to have loved such a great love with Richard in your lifetime. You should feel very grateful for that. I stared in blank disbelief as if he had slapped my face. There was something undeniably condescending about what he had said. Even though I knew he meant well, I didn't take it that way. He proceeded with the awkward and usual, I'm sorry for your loss. My response? What do you mean, loss? I didn't lose my car keys. Do you understand something? My life was annihilated. I'm sorry, but I don't feel grateful. I feel devastated. And as the tears rushed down my cheeks, I walked outside away and found a post to lean on in a stairwell in fresh air. As soon as he said the word grateful, I knew I felt anything but grateful for the pain I was experiencing. And I resented him for saying so. I wasn't sure I would ever feel grateful for having the kind of love that helped so much pain to lose. But in time, I changed. In time, I healed. And so did my attitude. I healed by repeating a mantra that came to me in the driveway that day of my first wave of grief, the mantra, surrender, trust, and accept. These three words became the lighthouse in the waves of grief. It came and went like the tides in stormy seas. In essence, the serenity prayer says, find the courage to change what you can, Christ. 
acceptance for what you cannot change, and the wisdom to know the difference. I repeated the mantra, surrender, trust, and accept. Surrender to the waves of grief, trust in the process. And eventually, I did accept my life. I don't accept that the, I don't consider that the acceptance of my loss was the ending point to my grief, but rather the portal to living more life, the portal to being able to choose life. When I accepted my loss, I began to embrace and step into this new life, one walking solo but not alone, one that made me feel like a new fawn with wobbling legs. And yes, I began to question everything. That's when I decided midlife is not a crisis unless you're in one. It's a time of inquiry. Who am I now? Years later, it's been quite a remarkable journey of self-discovery and with lots of twists and turns and so many blessings too. I truly wish that Richard had known the woman that is here today I feel like I'm so much more of a match for him now than I was all the years that we grew together. And deep in my heart and soul, I know that Richard's death actually breathed new life into me. He breathed new life into me because I woke up. I woke up. I woke up inspired. I woke up to feeling my life. I woke up to feeling all the gratitude and all the joy so much more. And yes, now I've returned to a deep feeling of gratitude for having loved so honestly and purely with true and lasting fulfillment. People often ask me if I'll remarry again. And I always say, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know, because my cup is more than half filled with enough love for Richard to potentially last my lifetime. I am truly, truly grateful for having loved so deeply that I now know I'm better for it. Even though in those early days, I wasn't grateful because I was in so much pain. I would do it all over again for the same soul contract because loving Richard and being loved by him were indeed worth the heartbreak and worth the loss and worth every tear. Gratitude and noticing all the great things in your life, both past and present, is great salve for the broken heart. And the incredible beauty of a broken heart mended is the expansion of compassion that ensues upon its healing your heart grows as it heals and as mine did my compassion for humanity grew tenfold for having gone through loss i've survived and i've chosen to thrive and i hope that you will too my ability to experience joy grew and i realized that as kahil gibran promised your heart will be broken open to more than you can possibly imagine. The depth that you feel your sorrow is the depth that you will return to your joy. Your joy will expand and grow 
much larger than you can possibly know. My tears for both joy and sorrow are equal. Thank you so much for listening, and please come back again. Much love. Thanks for listening to Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff with New York Times bestselling author, Christine Carlson. Visit christinecarlson.com and learn about her brand new What Now program, a 10-week mentorship course guiding you to your most vibrant life.